Open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. Nehemiah, chapter 6. As I think most of you know, recently I started a series of messages on Sunday night entitled, The Devil's Dangerous Devices. Might I say, they are many. After introducing the message, I preached uh, about the subject of deception, and tonight we're going to speak about the subject of diversion. Now, I realize that just recently I preached a message about distractions, which is very close to what we're talking about tonight, Uh, and I was really tempted to leave this subject out of the series because some way or another, I guess maybe the Lord figured we needed a double dose of the subject, but this is an entirely different story, of course. And I was tempted to leave it out, and I thought, well, uh, it's best to just leave it like it is. You know, we don't want to start trying to censor God. So many times, you know, it's really amazing. We preachers sometimes are guilty of saying, boy, the Lord laid this on my heart. And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff he didn't have anything to do with. We're just preaching it because we want to preach it, you know. But I really try to be sensitive to that, and I don't want uh, it to be my choice. But the whole thing about it is that this subject can be approached in a lot of different ways. And so uh, we're going to go in a different direction tonight on the same subject. And I want you to consider, I think, one of the best examples of diversion that I know And that's found here in Nehemiah chapter 6. I love to read the stories of successful people, don't you? I'll never forget after I was saved and surrendered to preach two months later. And I scrounged through every used bookstore in Springfield, Missouri, and anywhere I could find used books looking for uh, books, uh, especially the stories of the of the missionaries, and I read every missionary story I could get my hands on. I read the story of all of the famous preachers back then, and uh, uh, well, I say back then, preachers that were way before me, but uh, I, I just love to read the story of a successful person, uh, people that uh, let God use them in, 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 in a mighty way. And so when we look at the story of Nehemiah, we see a man that God used mightily. And the reason is because he refused to be diverted away from the work that God had given him. He understood that what he was doing was of such importance that nothing could be allowed to stop it. And I hope you will feel that way about your service for Christ, that this is more important than anything in all of the world. And by the grace of God, I'm not going to allow anything to stop it. As Paul said this morning in the first verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about the fact that he refused to faint. And he just refused to give up regardless of the difficulties that he encountered. Diversion has been one of the devil's favorite tactics from the very beginning. It's been a favorite tactic of warfare down through the centuries. In fact, Joshua used that. You'll remember whenever he launched the second attack against Ai and he used the the you know the tactic of diversion against them and so it's used time and time again in warfare but believe me uh, 
for every for every time that man has used it in warfare, the devil has used it a million times in the lives of people because he'll do almost anything in order to stop us from doing what God would have us to do. And he knows that if he can divert our attention, that he can defeat us. And so he uses everything under the sun. It might be, uh, it might be amusement. As innocent as that seems, we can get so caught up in the amusements of the world that we find ourselves out on a tangent instead of doing what God called us to do. It might be the allurement of things, that, that desire that we've got to get something more, we've got to get better and, and something different. We've got to keep up with the Joneses and that allurement of things. It might be the attraction to some particular sin that diverts our attention away from God. It might even be the appeal of a good cause something that is noteworthy, something that maybe, you know, in our mind this needs to be done. It's a good cause. As I've often said, sometimes we let sinless things become sinful because they keep us from doing what God would have us to do. So it might be the appeal of some good cause. I've known preachers that have decided that the most important thing in all of the world seemingly to them was to get America back on the right track and they got so involved in politics that they gave up basically preaching the gospel and how sad that is to think about someone devoting their time and their energy to a good cause that keeps them from accomplishing the will of God. So when we look at the story of Nehemiah, we're able to see how the devil works in a different light. And I, 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 just, I don't have time to tell the whole story, and that was part of the struggle going through when I realized that this is an ideal uh, ideal example of, of this danger of diversion here in this chapter, but I thought, you know, I, I hate to just jump off in the middle of this story. It makes me want to do a series on the entire book of Nehemiah. We need to do that, and we often do every few years in Sunday school. But I'll just bring you up to date as quickly as possible, and then we'll get right into it. Remember Ezra had led in the rebuilding of the temple, and God has now appointed Nehemiah to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Go back to chapter 2 for just a moment, and, and, and I don't want to just assume that everybody is familiar with the story, and so we'll get an idea of what's going on as they begin the work. And I love the first part of it where Nehemiah is so brokenhearted over the condition that even the king decides that he'll cooperate and give him a leave of absence, as it were, and allow him to begin the work. But notice here in verse 19 of chapter 2, But when Sanballat the, the Horonite and Tobiah the servant and the Amorite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will you rebel against the king? And then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. And so right off the bat, automatically, 
they meet with uh, opposition. And by the way, it gets worse and worse throughout, throughout the project. But in spite of all of the difficulties, in spite of all of the delays, when we come to chapter number 6, we find the work is nearly finished. But the devil's not finished. The opposition isn't finished. It continues on. And it starts with this same fellow, Sanballat, the troublemaker here, who was joined by others at this point. And when we come to this chapter, we see that there are at least four different forms of opposition as they try to create a diversion and stop the work. So look at verse number 1 to begin with, down through verse 4. And we see that the first diversion is what I call the sympathy temptation. Listen to what he says now. And it came to pass when Sambalit and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, and Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, and they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same Manner. Notice the request of Sanballat here. Remember, he has failed to stop the work. And so now, seemingly, he wants to appear as though he is sympathetic toward the project. And he, co- he comes or, or sends to Nehemiah wanting to meet in a neutral location, uh, some one of the cities. It's almost like him giving him a call, you know, on the phone saying, hey, you know, I've been thinking this over. Why don't we meet together over a cup of coffee? I'll even buy lunch today. That's kind of the picture that comes to my mind. I realize that no details are given here, but in the absence of any threats or any words of malice, we we see none of that, or we can assume that the offering was some sort of a peaceful coexistence, you know, that we're willing to work with you the best that we can, uh, but you, you know, you just got to slow this project down. You just can't take the bull with the horns and do anything that you want uh, because you, you're not the person in charge. You know, the king will supervise all of that, and you know, and uh, we're his overseers and so forth. And so, no doubt they would have come up with a lot of different ideas. So that was the request, and, and Satan works that way. That. You know, he's sympathetic. I, you know, I, I understand, he might say, that, boy, you work hard all week long and you deserve a break. And I, I understand your bills are piled up so high, skipping a, skipping a few weeks of tithing, that's not going to make any difference. And uh, he can appear to be sympathetic toward your needs. But notice in the response of Nehemiah, I mean, there are three things about his response in verse 3 and 4. Number one, he had enough insight to discern the enemy's evil purpose. Verse two, they thought to do me mischief. Discernment is so very crucial to our success. Discernment, and that's, that's, 
that's missing today. And there's nothing common about common sense anymore. We live in a nation that has gone absolutely insane. And even among God's people, there seems to be no spirit of discernment that people will believe almost anything they hear. Especially if you wrap it in the garb of religion, boy, they'll take it hook, line, and sinker. But Nehemiah was of a different sort. He had discernment. He knew something was up. He knew that this was wrong. He knew that they did not mean him good. And then notice his mind was made up even before the offer was made. Because when you look in verse 3, he says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? He didn't have to think about it. He, he, you know, all of our sin begins in the heart, and Satan knows that if he can get us to question God's will like, like he did with Eve, well, then he can defeat us. But there are a lot of things in life that's not worthy of our consideration. Nehemiah didn't say, you know, I'm going to think this over. Maybe, I, you know, maybe I've been too strict. Here a while back, I started to write an article about uh, whether or not we, were, we preachers were wrong. Let's say, pick a number, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was. And I look at Christendom today. I look at the condition of the average church today. And I look at the way things were back then and what was being preached back then and, and, and then I think about the situation as it is today. You know, it's got to be one of two things. Either we were wrong. And by the way, if we were wrong about what we were preaching back then, we owe a lot of people a big apology. We really do. I mean, if we were wrong about the things that we preach, it's wrong, period, and we ought to apologize for it. But I can't think of any major doctrine that we were wrong about. I can't think about any of the issues of morality that we were wrong about back then. I'm not preaching anything different today than what I was preaching back then. And yet you look around at the world that we live in and we see that professing Christians live almost exactly the same as the world. And there ought to be a huge difference between the two. We don't have to even consider... Somebody, people all the time asking, well, well, you see anything wrong with this? I was writing another article. I mentioned it last week, and I haven't sent it out yet. You know, people saying, well, I don't see anything wrong with it, whatever it is. I don't see anything wrong with it. Well, my answer is, of course you don't. You haven't read your Bible in six months. You haven't prayed in the last year except in emergencies. Of course you don't see anything wrong with it. And so many times those same people want to be critical of a spiritual-minded, spirit-filled Christian. They want to criticize them as being too strict, a religious fanatic, a radical or something, you know. Well, maybe, you know, if they had ever really grow up spiritually, they'd be on the same page with the spirit-filled Christian. That's where the problem is. We don't have to consider a lot of things. It's kind of like if you've got to ask about it, you know. I tell people all the time, if you, if you doubt, don't. Whatever's not a faith is sin. It's kind of like me taking one of my shirts in the, in the other room and saying to Bev, uh, does you, you think this would be okay to wear this again? Here, smell it. Her, question, her answer's always the same. If you've got to ask, then it needs to go to the cleaners. 
Some things you just don't have to think about. And, and Nehemiah's mind was made up. Forget about all of the sympathetic uh, uh, attitude of the enemy. He didn't want to talk about it. And he realized the seriousness of the work. Notice what he says, this phrase where he says, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work. And he certainly was. He wasn't just dreaming about it. He didn't say, I'm getting ready to do a great work. He didn't say, I used to be involved in a great work. He said, I'm doing a great work. The very first sermon I preached when I came here 30, what, 30, almost 34 years ago, the first sermon I preached whenever they had contacted me, wanted me to come in view of a call, was the work is great. The work is great. And we need to grasp that, the greatness of God's work. And Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work. I'm not just dreaming about it. I'm not just talking about it. I'm doing it. So he's simply saying, look, fellas, I'm too busy to argue. I'm too busy to gossip. I'm too busy to criticize. I'm too busy to complain. I realize that delay is dangerous. And all that's going to do for me to take time out of the project to go meet you in some other city and sit down and talk with you when I already made up my mind and I know what you believe is nonsense. I won't do it. They didn't give up. Four times they sent back to him and said, oh, come on. Yeah. And he answered the same every time. Now look at verse 5 and here is the second diversion tactic and uh, I call it the slander temptation. Verse 5 down through verse 9. Then, you see, the devil never gives up. Then sent Sanballat his servant unto me in the manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, like that really made it true, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king. Well, to read that just makes me sick because when you understand the price that Nehemiah paid in order to, to lead in this project and here they are accusing him of wanting to be the king and that the project is all about securing his position, it makes no sense at all. Notice verse 7. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There's a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. And I send to them, saying, there, is, there are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. In other words, you've conjured these things up, these lies, these slanderous statements against me. He's charging Nehemiah with being prideful and self-seeking, that he's trying to use the people to get what he wanted. And the plan was, when he does, whenever he is firmly entrenched with that authority to become their king, he's going to rebel against the true king. And so Nehemiah meets the charge head on with a brief but a very truthful explanation. He denied the charge. He pointed out the real source of mischief. And, 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 and the 
most important thing is then he prayed that God would strengthen him. Amen. Boy, you leave that part of it off and you're already defeated. You know, the world, I said this this morning, the world has never understood the dedication of a disciple. Someone who only seeks to glorify God. And hearing these foolish charges brought against you or Nehemiah or whoever can be one of the most discouraging and distracting things in all of the world. Somebody slandering you. Uh, and don't ever think for a moment that it doesn't sometimes happen in churches. It shouldn't, but it does. And it might not be out loud and up front for everybody to hear, but if there's this little group and that little group over here. Did you know, and I don't know whether it's really true or not, but I heard from a reliable source that, oh, so-and-so did this and did that. Isn't that horrible? That shouldn't ever go on in the Lord's church. But slander has discouraged a great many of God's servants and diverted them away from what they ought to be doing. Now look at verse 10. And here in verse 10 through verse 14, we see what I call the scare temptation. Verse number 10. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaliah, the son of Delaliah, the the son of Mahithahil, who was shut up, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God. Now, boy, this is really sounding good now. Listen. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee, and they're coming to kill you. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee and who is, who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? Question mark. I will not go in. And lo, I perceive that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so, and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think upon, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works, and on the prophetess uh, Noradiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Well, I'll tell you what, fear can paralyze a person. And when Satan cannot conquer us in one way, he tries another way. Whenever he fails as an angel of light, he appears as a roaring lion. And here we see Nehemiah tempted to use the Lord's house as a refuge. I mean, they said, come on, you, you, you better lock yourself in the temple. Just come on in and we'll shut the door. We won't let anybody in. They can't, they can't get to you because they're going to come in the middle of the night and they're going to kill you. You better stop this work you're doing and take refuge in the temple. And, and believe me, that would have driven a lesser man into seclusion. But Nehemiah realized that if the God of the temple failed him, the temple of God sure couldn't save him. Should such a man as I flee? 
We live in trouble sometimes. It's been worse and it's going to get worse, but that doesn't make it easy because it's been worse or because it's going to get worse. So we, we, we face a lot of great difficulties in this day and age. And if we're not careful, we will allow fear to conquer us and control us. And uh, it's just another device of the devil if he can get us fearful. Boy, we we could talk a whole lot about that. Some are so fearful right now that they have all but stopped living. I believe in using common sense. I believe the virus is a real thing. The virus has made people sick. It has cost people their jobs. it, It has killed people. It's a horrible, terrible thing. But we've got a life to live regardless of the virus or anything else. And we can't just roll up in a ball in the corner and suck our thumb and, and, and feel sorry for ourselves. It is what it is. We can't change it. Use common sense. Do what you ought to do. But don't stop living for God. Don't let that fear paralyze what you ought to be doing for the Lord. Well, Nehemiah didn't cave in. Well, now look at verse 17, and here's the fourth, the fourth means whereby that Satan tried to stop them, and I call this the subversion tactic. Verse 17, he said, Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. Now remember this, Tobiah is the enemy and, and many of the nobles, the big shots, the leaders there in Judah, they're sending letters to Tobiah. Tobiah sending letters to them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him. Because, here's the reason, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. And his son, Johanan, and had taken the daughter of Meshulam and the son of, of Berechiah. Uh, also, they reported his good deeds before me. Well, that must have, that must have been irritating. They reported, his, Nehemiah's own people coming to him, reporting the good deeds of the enemy to him. And uttered my words to him. Yeah, tomorrow we're going to build over here in this section of the wall. And this is what we're going to do. And they're reporting all of that subversion. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. This is, look, this is what's been going on. This is what is happening behind the scenes. We, the other stuff is up front and in your face where they are sending letters to Nehemiah, where they are voicing uh, their opinion about Nehemiah, slandering Nehemiah. But now, behind the scenes, some of the Jewish nobles, they've maintained correspondence with Tobiah the enemy because his son had married him and his son had married Jewish women. I said last week, I believe it was, talking about this matter of separation and what the Bible teaches about it. And uh, this is, this is a, a good example of that. That the Jewish women, some of them had married these two fellows, and now here they are, part of the ringleaders, trying to stop the work of God. It, it, when, whenever you hear of some, maybe some 
Christian girl that's dating a boy that's not saved and and you know you try to help them you try to encourage them you you, you don't want to be harsh about it but you just want to let them know what God's word says and and I've, I've literally heard him say well you know I know the, I know he's not a Christian but he's really open to it and I, I I really believe he'll change no he won't you accept him on his terms and I almost guarantee you that nothing will ever be different other than get worse you need to stand for what you know the Bible teaches and there is to be a separation. There was a separation set by God himself between the Jews and the others and this intermarriage was not allowed but in this case it happened and now it's coming back to haunt them here because now these Jews are serving as spies against their own people and they're reporting Nehemiah's words to Tobiah and exalting Tobiah in the presence of Nehemiah. Well, that was the, the last thing he needed. But that's what has been going on. He didn't find out about it till later. That's why I read it here at the end of the chapter. And so that reminds me that a lot of times we're just unaware of what's really going on. We really are. Over the years, there have been so many times whenever, and I understand that churches go through dry spells. I realize that there are going to be times that we're, you know, we're planting the seed and planting the seed and week after week and we're praying that somebody will be saved and we go week after week and nobody's saved, no one added to the church, the baptismal waters aren't stirred and we get to wondering what in the world is wrong. And a lot of times that has caused some of us pastors to respond in a way that is... Uh, uh, that that is harmful because we get so frustrated. Nothing is happening. You know, I I I've just got to straighten these people out. I've got to read them the riot act. And a lot of times we do more harm trying to fix the problem. We got to understand it's not our job to bless it. It's our job to preach it, and that's all we can do. It's look. It's God that gives the increase. Well, we can't we can't make this stuff happen. You see. But I'm saying all of that to say this. Many times I've been in that situation where we keep going and we wonder what in the world is going on. We have no idea. And a month, six months later, sometimes a year later, we realize, oh my, I had no idea that was going on. You see, it finally comes to light. That there, there are some of the members of the body that are living in sin and others, many times many others know about it, but they've been living in sin and become a hindrance to the church and the Lord's work. And, and God, look, God can't bless that. He won't bless that. So maybe, maybe you read the whole story and there were some delays and dangerous places in this project and it might be that Nehemiah was scratching his head trying to figure out why in the world can't we get this done. Well, here we are at the end of the project and not until now does he know what has been going on all of that time. The enemy is working behind the scenes, hidden from view. Believe me, the devil never stops. And even when everything seems to be going well, there is evil activity taking place all around us because Satan is plotting our downfall. Now, there are four tactics used trying to serve as a diversion to stop the work. 
But the wonderful thing about this story is that the work was completed. Verse 15 and verse 16 speaks about it. So the wall was finished. In the 20th and 5th day of the month, Elu, and in the 50th and in 50 and 2 days, and it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all of the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Oh, isn't it wonderful in spite of all of these things that the devil is doing, this is the consummation of the work. It's come down to this place. You know, anyone can be a destroyer. Anybody can tear something down, but God called us to be builders. And over the years I've seen so many start a job, start a work or something, doing something for the Lord, and they never finish. It just stays that way. And what a great testimony it is to Nehemiah's dedication, to his determination, to his perseverance that he never, he never caved in and he never gave up. And boy, when it's all said and done and the project is finished, notice the enemies, first of all, they're aggravated about it because they wanted to stop it. But secondly, they are amazed by it. Look there in verse 16 again. They had to admit, here it is, that this work was wrought of our God. Let me tell you, the fact of the matter is, it always is. It's always. Whenever a work is completed, it's always because of what God did, not what we do. Every victory can be attributed to God, and without Him we could do nothing. So don't ever put your confidence in me or Brother Kenneth or any other man because it's God that enables us. It's not the workers. It's the God who works through them that makes the difference. Now there's one more thing as we think about this project being finished in spite of all that the devil was doing. One thing that I find interesting here, and that's, that's all of the so statements uh, that are used. We've, we find if we go all the way back to, to chapter 2 and verse 4. You don't need to turn there. And, and we find this repeated, by the way. We find these words. Nehemiah says, So I prayed. Verse 11 of that chapter, he says, So I came to Jerusalem. Verse 18 of that chapter, he says, So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, So built we the wall. Verse 21 of chapter 4, so we labored in the work. And then here in verse 15 of chapter 6, so the wall was finished. The devil's going to throw everything he's got against you. And, and, and that little word so, it's as though he is saying this happened and that happened, but so we what? We just kept working. We kept praying. We kept waiting and so we finished the work. And I'll tell you, if we'll just hang on to that as God's people and refuse to compromise, we can finish the work that God's given us to do here. Amen? Amen. That, that, boy, doesn't, that makes things exciting. 
when you realize that God's doing a great work right here in Humble in the Houston area, God's got a great work going on, and you and I can be a part of that. So, hang in there. Don't you give up. Amen. Amen. Let's pray as we stand together. Tim, come on, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. Those awaiting baptism, if you would, please come. And we'll have one of our deacons back here at the door, I I think. Uh, I'm not sure which one, but there will be one back here at the door. to Yeah, Brother Rick Morris there. He'll meet you there and take you to the dressing room. Brother Kenneth will be going up to administer the ordinance of baptism. Father, help us to consider what we've heard tonight. Help us, Lord, to apply your word to our lives. Lord, may you just uh, speak to our hearts. And Lord, may we understand how important it is that we stay by the stuff that we Keep working, keep praying, and, and never give up. How we thank you, Lord, for those faithful few that, that have the attitude that Nehemiah did, that just refused to cave in to the pressure around them. So we pray tonight that you'll just, that you'll just meet the needs of each and every person. If there's one here that's a stranger to your saving grace tonight, we pray they might come to know Christ in the free pardon of sin and leave here as a new creature. And Lord, if there are those here tonight, maybe they've grown cold and indifferent. Maybe Satan's gotten the advantage of them. Maybe they're just tired and weary. Not weary of the work, but weary in the work. And it's affecting their manner of life. Lord, may you just fill them with your spirit tonight and give them the strength they need to continue in your service. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we sing.